All righty. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's been a while. And as you can hear, I almost have a Koof Rona voice, but uh, this is the adverse effects of eating hotel food for five days instead of your wife's nutritious cooking. But I am back. I am alive. Maybe this will be the, the smooth, silky voice you all hoped for. Yeah, I had a great week, chaps. I was coaching some rugby. Um, had a phenomenal time with the youngsters, a bunch of teenagers. And uh, just it's it's such such great energy just being in an all-male space uh, for a week um, really does invigorate the heart. And even even like total liberal dudes are enjoyable to be around when you're when you're in an all-male space and you're all together. And you know, there's there's some coaches who are like total. Uh, you know, you just walk away when they start talking about the Rona and the the jab and all that. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to just walk, walk away. There's no, no need fighting over this for a week. And then other dudes are just based. Tons of the kids are just based. We're going to be all right. Let me tell you the zoomers, the zoomers are just based, you know, man, I was such a little liberal soy boy growing up. I just wanted to please the clowns. That's all I wanted to do, man. Please the clowns. Women can do everything a man can. <laughs> you know, you just want to be the you just want to be the chief clown because well, that was the millennial curse. We were the we were the experimental generation. We were the what is it? The third generation of birth control babies, you know, like born gay. <laughs> and we, you know, but these zoomers, man, something something happened. Something happened. We're going to be okay. Heroid the week. Welcome, brother. Probably because SA society has broken down to an extent that the propaganda is useless. So, so here's the deal as well. What's really cool. So this week that I'm, I'm gone. I, I had, I had plans to, to stream every night, but uh, we were in a pretty packed hotel and uh, you know, our schedule was just packed the whole day. Um, so I wasn't able to, to stream, but it's hilarious that the whole South Africa thing unfolds and uh, you know, my wife asked me, like, was I sad I wasn't able to uh, give live breaking news, uh, as it were, you know, Brian Williams, I was there. Um, and I was like, you know, what? it was actually pretty cool just to watch and and not, you know, there's so many dudes giving their five cents, some of them pretty remarkably. I mean, we're talking five cents in Bitcoin. Some of their takes were really good. And, um, you know, my takes are always going to, not be around what is happening, but but more around what can we learn, what can we apply, what can we uh, gain by looking into the unseen. What patterns can we can we recognize? And so for me, my strength is never you know breaking news live. <clears throat> it's always to to look and and mull and think things over and and try and get those those things out that that are uh, good for us. Um, Heroid, is it still going on? Yeah, so. To just give you guys a breakdown of, of the, here's the ADIQ <clears throat> Grug explanation of what went down. So old Jake, old Jake, uh, the, the former president, Jacob Zuma, um, <laughs> a charismatic, a charismatic gentleman, um, a Zulu, beloved of his people. Uh, my dad actually uh, met him a couple times in his, in his, hobnobbing and um so old jake uh profited quite nicely uh off of an arms deal uh back in the early 2000s 
and then he had some scrupulous dealings with uh, some Indian corporatists, uh, like real Indian from India Indians, uh, who came in and there was a bunch of state capture and you know basically uh, selling control or ownership of of state enterprises to to Indian corporatists. And um, anyway, he served his whole time, his whole term, and um, you know there were tons of allegations and scandals and blah blah blah, all this kind of stuff. But he was never ever. Uh, convicted on on of anything or whatever um and so it's been years now like i don't know three four years that he's been out of out of office and finally he was uh pinged on contempt of court or whatever and so he gave himself up and was was arrested and um and so his his supporters kind of threw a little hissy fit you know so 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 here comes the great <clears throat> here comes the great unraveling of the south african experiment the south african project <clears throat> south africa is 14 different tribes 14 different cultures um all forced into an economic zone so so the british you know so the dutch settlers very similar to the pilgrims and the puritans of america <clears throat> there were dutch german and french uh pilgrims or puritans if you want to call them who were fleeing uh persecution in Europe and came to uh came to the Cape Colony in I don't know 1600s uh at the same time there was the Dutch East India Company so a bunch of of traders you know boys who who were were in it for the for the cash you know kind of like the colonists um and they made like a way station between uh Europe and and the east and so the Dutch the Dutch basically had this first colony um in Africa um, and I think it was like 1805, uh, the English said, right, we'll have that. Thank you, chaps. <clears throat> and forced these, the now Afrikaners, you know, these, this, this new nation, this new tribe that was forming and forced them out into the hinterland, into the bush, um, you know, as they wanted to escape British rule, um, over the Cape colony, they, they went into the, into the, the hinterland of South Africa, you know, up uh, up to Natal, which is where I was uh, raised, up into the High Felt, which is what they call the interior um, of South Africa, because it's a raised high altitude plateau uh, with with bush felt and uh, Lion King scenery. <clears throat> and of course, you know they start a bunch of republics, and um, and at the same time, the Bantus are moving down from Central Africa, fighting their way and and warring their way down. Uh, so the same time the Dutch are arriving in the south of Africa, the Bantus are, which is is where the Zulus and and uh, a lot of the the other tribes descend from, were were fighting their way down the peninsula, down the the east coast of of Africa, down into into what is now South Africa. So both were colonizing forces. The the natives um, of South Africa were the Khoisan, which were like the Bushmen. Uh, style people and they were squeezed out by both into the desert um, of Namibia and um, and the Zulus kind of uh, ended up becoming an empire by uh, assimilating Borg style uh, every little tribe that they conquered <clears throat> becoming a, a huge great nation uh, and eventually uh, being um, conquered by the the British 
in the late 1800s. Their, their king was imprisoned and sent to like St. Helena or something like that. Uh, and the Zulu, the Zulu nation was broken, per se. Uh, the Afrikaners were also broken by the, the British in 1901. Uh, so the British came in and just scorched earth uh, because obviously the, the, the Afrikaners struck gold and diamonds. <clears throat> and herein is the real, herein is the real thread. Herein is the real, what it means to be South African. Resource wars, diamonds and gold. The British set up this economic zone around diamonds and gold, you know, and who was behind it, you know, Rhodes, huge, huge, big shot corporatist, right? Hobnob corporatist with, with crazy, um, uh, you know, ties to, to wealthy uh, backers and financiers and things like that. Uh, the Oppenheimers, um, you know, there, there's these crazy, basically mining magnet families, uh, kind of like the oil families in America. It's the diamond and gold families um, in South Africa. And, and so it is, it is diamonds and gold that this union, this economic zone is founded upon. And, and that's the mess up of, of even tribal life, right? <clears throat> so for instance, um, a lot of, of tribal, of, of the black tribes had, had a wonderful patriarchal, uh, agrarian lifestyle, right? You have your five wives, you have your flocks of cattle and you live a subsistence life and you're happy. And every now and then you go and beat up on your neighbor and you have some war games, uh, and you're happy. You live your happy life. The British come and mess stuff this up by by creating a tax um, on every, I think it was like on every hut or on every cow or whatever. And the only way they could pay this tax was in pounds, was in British currency. And so the only way to get British currency was for the men to go up to the mines to work as basically indentured labor, was to basically work as tax 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 indentured labor because it's like if i don't go up to the mines to earn money then i can't you know i'm basically gonna i'm gonna become um a tax dodger or, and and be punished by the british and so the british totally destroy the Kosas, totally destroy the zulus so, you know all these little tribes <clears throat> the only ones who kind of were unscathed kind of thing were the basutus who had their own uh and that's a whole nother story who, who kind of retained their own sovereignty. But even there, like there was diamond uh, stuff going on in, in Lesotho. <clears throat> but so you have this crazy mineral, but everything in South Africa is based on diamonds and gold. Every dysfunction, every, uh, every war, everything is based on a tribal resource war for gold and diamonds and land. So even in my area where I grew up in the Drakensberg, you know, it's some of the most stunning land in the world. Beautiful, beautiful vistas, mountain vistas, beautiful rivers, you know, wonderful uh, irrigated lands. But at the time in the 1800s, I think it was like the, the land was either calcium deficient. It's something that's super easy to fix now. But back in the 1800s and early 1900s, you couldn't... Um, they didn't know how to fix it. So the, the lands weren't very good for yielding. They were only really good for pastoralism, for grazing animals. And so what, uh, what ended up happening was the, 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 the English, the, the, uh, tr the colonial governor, the Natal government, 
ended up moving a bunch of uh, Zulu minor tribes down into our area as um, as a buffer against the Basutus. You know, so it's like we're going to put you all here to uh, kind of buffer the Basutus who were coming down and raiding or causing trouble or whatever. And so they ended up importing all of and for for labor and all of that kind of stuff. You know, so you have these mass like politi- politically, again, it's like oh, this land is worthless. Let's move uh, some Bantus onto this land. <clears throat> And um, in order to create a barrier between us and those pursuits who are not behaving themselves. <clears throat> and, um, you know, so South Africa is, is full of just, of just whatever these corporatist colonial governors, you know, these corporatist mineral uh, mining magnets wanted. You know, Rhodes, even in the, the creation of, of Rhodesia, northern Rhodesia, my mother was born in, in northern Rhodesia, now Zambia. Uh, and southern Rhodesia, which became Zimbabwe, it literally Rhodes named this economic zone after himself, you know. And again, this is why you can't hate normies. This is why you can't, this is why you can't, you know, even with the Jews, majority of Jews are just trying to get along with life. It's it's same with the Brits. That's why I like, you know, it's why I can be friends with a bunch of Afrikaners and they're like, oh, the Brits are the bloody subversives. And it's like, yeah. The British Empire was one of the most subversive clown entities in history of the world. But here I am, you know, some Anglo who's just trying to get along with life. And, you know, we have to understand that there are clowns in every organization. There are clowns in every race, every ethnicity, every tribe. And what we have to do is amongst our own, we need to call out and and gatekeep against the clowns in our own tribes. We don't have authority to kick out other tribes' clowns for them. This is why we have to be hard on the Jews. This is why we have to be hard on the Zulus. This is why we have to be hard, you know, on whichever, you know, like we have to be hard on the bloody Irish. Let me tell you, those Irish, they just want to drink and fight and drink. Uh, Chaps, we have to clean stuff up there. Let me tell you. But it's not on us to clean it up because I'm not Irish, you know. And, and this is the, the crazy thing about racism is, you know, people rightly point out the clowns in other people's tribes. <clears throat> and then they paint the whole tribe with that same brush instead of encouraging that tribe to clean out their own house. Or they try and take authority themselves and come and overreach. <clears throat> Matt, people keep criticizing the ANC as stupid or incompetent, but it seems like they're very intentionally and willful with their destruction. In the, yeah, exactly, bro. I'll, I'll come back to that and hit on it now. Uh, Heroid, I don't think they are clever enough for there to be an obvious willful accidental dichotomy. Blood Diamond, dot JPEG. Uh, this is Africa, bro. Cecil Rhodes was one of those awesome colossal figures. Love him or hate him. Andrew Quinn, welcome, brother. Yeah, so so this whole thing, you know, of, of people criticizing the NCS stupid or incompetent, but it seems like they're very intentionally and willful with their destruction. You know, I was thinking about this. So so anyway, I've kind of set the, I've set I've set the context for you of what South Africa is. South Africa is an economic zone that has forced 14 or more very different, very disparate cultures to fight amongst each other for the democratic control, the ring to rule all the resources, to rule all the other tribes, to stop being abused by the economic uh, overlords. <clears throat> And so, and so we get to this place today where the ANC, the African nationalist, the Leninist 
Marxist African, Pan-African nationalists who won their guerrilla long war against Afrikaners and got into power in the 90s. Um, they never let go of their liberation tag, of their struggle fighting tag. You know, they are the liberators. They are the, the freedom fighters. And it's like, well, now you have to become a governor. Now you have to govern this economic zone. <clears throat> and which they have proceeded to do quite well for themselves. So, so herein we need to really understand a lot of liberals are like, oh, wonderful. The blacks are in power. Oh, this is so nice. So nice. And then they proceed to the, the, the ANC proceeds to just absolutely enjoy the gravy train. They, you know, they are just, ab you know, they all have their mansions, their German cars, their huge million rand a year salaries, their huge government job, uh, expanded, what do you call them? Uh, like hospitality budget or whatever, everything expense budget. <clears throat> um, they get, you know, all their friends and family get government project, uh, get to the front of the queue for, for getting government projects and, and contracts. They are, they are <clears throat> gatekeeping, uh, the resources they are, they have, they've got the gravy train. They've got the keys to the gravy train and they're riding it. Um, and, you know, so we look at them, we're like, oh, they're so stupid. They're so incompetent. Look at them bloody uh, running this train into the ground, man. Yes. And what you, you've you got to understand is like, no, no, no. Like, they're literally enjoying the heck out of it and loving it. <clears throat> and, you know, like like I said in a, in a previous stream of, of the tribal resource wars, the majority of Africans have never lived a Western lifestyle. They've never lived with infrastructure. They've never lived with electricity, running water, sewage roads, uh, police, justice, law and order. They, they've never lived with any of it. They, they live a very pastoralist, patriarchal, rural lifestyle. And so, you know, the top 1,000 cadres, uh, you know, hotshots of the ANC, uh, they love the Western lifestyle. <clears throat> and so this train, this train doesn't have to, doesn't have to pull, you know, 50 million uh, black people into their lifestyle. It just has to pull 1,000 and all of their families and friends. And for that reason, they're happy. You know, they're, they're doing all right. <clears throat> and so, you know, it comes to, here it comes to this whole thing with Zuma. Because they're pan-Africanists, the ANC, the Tosas and the Zulus are the two biggest factions within that. But but obviously the current the current president's not a Tosa or a, a Zulu. I think he's a, a Venda or a Chwana or something like that. And so there's this insane, there's this insane kind of, you know, the ANC, I think there's been like 60 top level assassinate political assassinations in the ANC over the last 20 years or 30 years, whatever it is. But it's like they kill each other, you know, right before the elections in 94, uh, the Zulus and the Kosas were like open warfare. You know, the literally the Afrikaners had to send the army into the townships. Uh, what we call townships uh, in America uh, is very different to townships in South Africa. Think of like favelas, you know, just mass poor housing around cities. Um, or as they're basically labor depots, labor depots. Um, so, so mud shacks or, or, uh, you know, just whatever you can get to, to build a shack. That's a, a what, what a township is. <clears throat> And, um, you know, recently, the last 30 years, they've been building what they call RDP housing, which is little brick two-bedroom homes 
uh, throughout these these townships to try and and increase the living standards for people there. But so there's this this huge internal struggle in the ANC uh, of the Tlosas killing the Zulus, the Zulus killing the Tlosas, and these tribal factions amongst the smaller ones, and you know there's all this crazy stuff. So so now we get to Zuma. Zuma was a Zulu, and so he was getting gravy uh, for his Zulu cadres, you know. And of course now. The Zulus have kind of fallen out of power, and so now there's another power block in ANC. And so that's what a lot of these people are kind of, you know, surmising, the ADIQ, Grug, Grug uh, analysis here. <clears throat> there has to be some form of organization behind these this rioting and looting, because there's always been looting before. You know, the, so, so Durban Harbor is the busiest harbor uh, on Africa. Durban Harbor in Natal. It's about two hours, two and a half hours south uh, to the coast from where I grew up. There's a straight shot highway from Durban Harbor, seven hours up to Johannesburg Industria. So all the industrial zone is in Johannesburg. And the, the biggest population center is in Johannesburg. And so this seven hours of highway, because again, the train, the train system has gone to crap. So the trains are almost non-existent. So everything goes by road freight between Durban and Joburg. And so, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year, let, let's say three times a year, let's be generous. There will be at this little, <laughs> the choke point, which is about 45 minutes from where I grew up, Moi River, which in Afrikaans means beautiful river. Um, there's an informal settlement. There's a township right on the highway, like literally on the highway, like take, you know, 5,000 people, put them right on the highway, let them all build shacks right overlooking a hill overlooking the highway. And then at the bottom of that hill on the highway is a toll plaza with an exit ramp with, you know, a truck stop and petrol station and little spaza shops and all that kind of stuff. And then a little bit down the valley is the town of Moy River, which is the little white town of like, you know, a thousand, a thousand people, which is now mostly Indians um, and the very few white people left there. And so two, three times a year, whenever these people uh, in the township are angry, lack of service delivery, you know, because again, and, and I've seen this with my own eyes, many people will corroborate with this, but if you're, if, you are, if you're in a township, if you're in a squatter camp, if you're in a location, whatever different setting, but, but a, a majority black uh, domest, domestic area, these people will come in in their little ANC wrapped uh truck with with loudspeakers and be like oh anc loves you anc loves everybody come get a free t-shirt and they'll give everyone a free t-shirt and they'll be like all right the vote is on wednesday we were all going to go out and vote for the anc he has a free t-shirt or you know if they really know that these people are angry with him they'll bring some like bread lo loaves of bread or or bags of rice or like cooking oil as a little gift in their truck and, you know, they'll tell these people all sorts of, of stories, you know, like, hey, if you vote for us, we'll build you RDP houses, you'll get a house. If you vote for us, you know, we'll get you jobs. If you, you know, they'll make all these promises, right? <clears throat> and, um, and so what will happen is about two, three times a year, people get fed up and pissed off. And so they go, <laughs> especially in this place in Moira, they'll go down to the, to the toll plaza. And, and because the trucks have to stop at the toll plaza, they will go and set a truck alight and loot everything from the back of that truck. And, you know, the police, uh, 
the police, the the traffic police officers right there at the toll plaza. So so they you know usually chase everyone off, and well they don't. They let them loot the truck, let the truck burn, and then they chase everyone off. And so you know, two three times a year, five or six trucks will burn. And you know you'll get messages and stuff like, hey guys, don't go don't go through more river today. They're rioting and throwing rocks and burning stuff. <clears throat> Happens two three times a year. What we saw last week though was like a, a ridiculously crazy, uh, coordinated, organized, strategic move. You know, if if you're just doing service delivery stuff, you know, to have it happen in multiple places, Durban, Peter Maritzburg, uh, Joburg, you know, all these little towns in between is where the looting all happened. <clears throat> um, and then to target... Uh, to target distribution centers, you know, so they went like st strip malls. We don't have strip malls really in South Africa, but like huge, big retail outlet centers, you know, like kind of think of a, an Africanized Walmart. They would go and hit these these African style Walmarts and absolutely destroy them. Not just go in and take the stuff and go out, but like burn the place down, ruin it, destroy it. Um. And so what ended up what ended up happening is these WalMarts because they're corporately owned. There's no one to defend them. You know, it's a great it's a great a great thing of like you know corporates don't love their people in place, and so so people in place aren't going to come to defend your crap when when you get looted. But what was interesting was all the small little businesses, the small little. In, the Indians are basically a merchant class uh, in South Africa. And so a lot of the little retail places are Indian. And the Indians uh, often like to set up retail spaces in the black areas. And so, man, the Indians came out in force to defend their properties. They came out with guns. They came out with, with batons and nightsticks. And, you know, they patrolled, they patrolled their crap and got crap done because they love, their, they love their own people. They love their own place. They're not letting it get looted. And so they went out there and, like, you come loot my stuff, I shoot you. And... Bloody man, the Indians got crap done. And it was the same in quite a few white areas. You know, the white people are like, you can't just come in here and loot our crap. Or we're going to fight back. And, you know, quite thankfully, a lot of the population are still armed. They've been trying to disarm the population for forever. But so anyway, you know, the white communities and the Indian communities, they set up neighborhood roadblocks. They set up their, their a lot of places already have neighborhood watches. And South Africa is so dangerous that you have neighborhood watches just like, it's a normal part of your life there, you know, not that you're an active duty member, but you're, you're, everyone's on the message group. Everyone knows, you know, what's going on. And so when something like this happens, then it's very quickly, Hey guys, we need, you know, 10, 20, 30 volunteers, blah, 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 all this stuff. <clears throat> and it's incredibly great for the community because, you know, guys pull together and it's like, yeah, we, we love our community. There's a bit of danger, nothing like a bit of danger to, to encourage community uh, <clears throat> camaraderie as it were. All right, let's read some stuff here quickly. All right, so so just quickly with that, so so they set up stuff. So a lot of the the places were fine where they had community watch and neighborhood watch and all that kind of stuff. <coughs> so why I say this was politically organized is to have so many protests all happen at once, when it's always just been little sporadic stuff. It's like boom, all at once, and they were all going for very economic targets, distribution centers, and things like that. Um. And so, uh, and so also the police then, so, so right, the South African police, when I was over there during the lockdown, dude, the police were everywhere. The police had roadblocks, they had the army out, like there must've been 
just everywhere you go, there's police with rifles, <clears throat> roadblocks, you know, basically the boot of the state on your neck. And it's like, oh, so you're gonna have you're gonna have some looting and writing. It's like, well, we'll show up two days later. We'll show up three days later. So the cops all show up three days later, not to arrest the looters, not to investigate the looters and the organizers of this thing, but to tell all the neighborhood watchers, the Indians and the whites, uh, to take down their barricades and to hand in their weapons. You know, it's just, it's hilarious. All righty. Uh, Herwood, I thought townships were a political structure. Yeah. So, so back in apartheid, they were a labor, they were the labor depot outside of a white area. So again, it's all this, it's, it's, it's resource, tribal resource downfall, you know, so white South Africans got so used to cheap labor and so dependent on cheap labor uh, that they would bring, you know, a huge population to ride outside the white area, make a township where all the, the blacks could, could build their shacks and, and stuff. And so they could then just commute, you know, 10 minutes in or 30 minutes in uh, to the white area to work. <clears throat> so it was political. Uh, but of course, after, um, after apartheid all fell apart and stuff, these people didn't just, oh, kumbaya, assimilate. It's like, no, the townships just like ballooned because now there was no checks on who could live there at what time. And, you know, the rural areas just depopulated into the, the urban areas. <clears throat> Whereas before that, there was, there was movement restrictions. Matt, surprised they didn't just call in Chappie to stop the rioting. Yes, indeed. There's no word for that in Britain, uh, which makes sense as we don't have any supermarket. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah, the supermarkets were a huge target. Uh, BLM was basically doing the same stuff in America. Yeah, so it, it was very similar, you know, very similar in that um, it, it was very organized. <clears throat> Andrew Quinn, um, you know, what you describe as more of a squatter camp than a township. Yeah. And, and those two things. So yeah, a township was, was a designated area for labor to live in outside of a white area. Uh, and then squatter camps are a more, um, a, a modern, they're a post of, there were no squatter camps during apartheid. Whereas boom, like as soon as restrictions were left, like just people just left the rural lifestyles to come in and try and get a job in the cities and created these huge favelas, these huge squatter camps. Alrighty. So I really wanted to, to get into this thing of what's happening in South Africa now, the aftermath. <clears throat> you know, what, what's really interesting, communities, you know, are enclaving. Um, it's been like this for, it's been like this for, you know, the last 20 years because crime just, you know, crime has just gone rampant, violent crime, you know, rapes, abductions, murders, uh, you know, home invasions, that kind of thing have gone through the roof, um, you know, to the point where now people, you know, you have to build a huge wall around your house, barbed wire, electric fence, shattered glass on top, you know, four dogs, uh, you put a, 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 a metal gate, uh, on your door, on all your doors, metal, metal burglar bars on all your windows. And then even in the cities, especially, so then even they you build your houses differently. So you 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 get through the first gate and you get into the kitchen or the the entry hall area of a house. There's now a second gate 
to the passageway to the to the bedroom. So you you lock your you lock your whole family into your bedroom section of your house at night. You know, it's like ridiculous. Like that's the way you live. And then you have private security uh, companies on call because the police don't do anything. So you call private security. Um, you know, so these are our armed response uh, private um, operators. <clears throat> but so what's what's happened is you have obviously demographic flight, right? So the Indians, you know, under apartheid, the Indians all lived in the same areas, you know, Phoenix, Verulam, um, et cetera, around Durban. So the Indians... The Indians in South Africa are the biggest group of Indians outside of India or anywhere around the world. And they're pr predominantly around Durban. Um, you know, obviously there's quite a, you know, you just follow the N1, is it the N1 or the N3? Anyway, you follow the highway from Durban all the way to Joburg and you will find Indians along the whole route. They are the merchant class. And, um, and anyway, they, so they've enclaved, they never... They never uh, kind of, oh, okay, Rainbow Nation, let's go live with everybody else. It's like, no, we'll we'll stick with our people. Same with the whites, you know, even the liberal whites, man. The liberal whites, oh, we love diversity. It's like, zip code, please. <laughs> you know, they live in these lily white gated communities with, you know, private security on on the estate and all this kind of stuff. And um, And so what's happening now is like, you know, people have always known that like, hey, in order to survive, you need to enclave. In order to survive, you need to uh, remove yourself from the cities, um, especially, and you need to get around your own people, and you need to be armed. You need to uh, build compound. Uh, you need to have uh, a plan for when stuff happens. You know, and one of the simplest things now, you know, so now that they've destroyed all the supermarkets, they've destroyed all the distribution centers. There's food, you know, there's food all around the country, but now they can't distribute it. You know, so so all these looters have gone and looted and have had, you know, five days of joy. And now there's bread lines. Like there's literally bread lines because, <clears throat> you know, they've gone and destroyed all the supermarkets, all the distribution centers um, for food. So it's going to be a fascinating, it's going to be a fascinating next, you know, couple of weeks. Um, you know, because a lot of businesses, it's like, do we want to, do we want to rebuild our supermarket or do we want to cut our losses and just get out of this game? I mean, obviously that's, that's, you know, you're talking corporates, they'll rebuild their little thing, but it'll take them, you know, it'll take them three months to six months to rebuild uh, a supermarket, you know? So then you'll be looking at churches and political organizations, charities, uh, basically providing, uh, you know, some form of charity, you know, food to people. But it just got me really thinking, you know, a lot of people, you know, they give all the preppers grief, <clears throat> but it's like, man, even if you just have a week to a month's worth of food on hand, it's a great sense of security for when crap hits the fan to not have to go stand in the bread line all day or to not have to go into danger to go and stand in the bread line because it's still not safe. It's not safe to go stand there. Um, and then the second thing as well is, is being on neighborhood watch duty. It's like, do you have a weapon to contribute? You know, because people are going to be like, hey, uh, you know, we need to set up a neighborhood watch or a, or a checkpoint or whatever. Uh, can you please do between six o'clock and six o'clock on this night? <clears throat> it's like, sure, I'll come do it. Does someone have a gun for me? It's like, no, 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 you bring your own, buddy. Like you bring your own weapon. It's like, well, all I have is a bat and that's fine. But it's like, everyone feels better when you have a firearm. You know, you it's like, it's that classic, it's that classic one where, where those bunch of dudes is actually a bunch of white boys and Indian boys that are they're standing, they're obviously blocking a road and here comes this huge uh, riot squad <clears throat> coming down the road towards them and they're shooting salt, uh, I think salt, salt uh, 
shotgun shells with salt at this group. And one of the guys like, where's the guy with a shotgun? You know, and he's like calling his mate to bring a shotgun. And it's like, it literally is that, you know, if you have a gun, you're a valuable man. If you have food, you're a valuable man. If you have water, because if, you know, they go and attack a water, uh, water infrastructure, it's like, you know, a lot of things are like, oh, Scott, this is just prepper madness. Yeah, it's true. You know, and for 20 years, people would have said, yeah, you're right. It's, it's madness. And then one day stuff like this happens. And if you live in a liberal democracy, one day this stuff will happen. <clears throat> uh, here with the whole 14 tribes is interesting. I suppose the British never meant the empire to fall, obviously. So it wouldn't really matter how many people lived within a particular area. White South African living conditions seem quite feudalist, considering all the security. So, yeah, you know, the, the British empire. And again, like we're all, we, you know, if you weren't a corporatist, if you weren't in the, you know, the upper echelons of all these institutions, <clears throat> the rest of us, you know, our ancestors, our, our uh, forefathers, we're just pawns in this game. You know, it's the same way with the American empire now. You know, many Americans are just pawns in this game. And so the question you have to ask is, how can I, how can I make sure that I survive the fallout of the fall of an empire? How can I make sure that I survive the, the break apart of, of empire? <clears throat> and the biggest way is to not depend on that empire. It's to not, not to stake your life on that empire, you know, build your life basing it on this empire continuing uh, for my success. And, and, you know, that's where it is, this whole neo-Amish vibe. You know, that's where it is, the whole, uh, I think that's why Jews succeed so much is because they think that every empire is going to cave on them. And so they build that way. They build uh, fail-safes into their community to not depend uh, on where they're going to get kicked out from. So it's very interesting. Uh, white South African living conditions seem quite feudalist, considering all the security. And that's why you feel so alive. <laughs> you know, there really is that man in South Africa. You're always on, you know, you leave your gated, you leave your gated community or your, your comp, your compound and uh, doors locked and eyes on. Alrighty, uh, here with three to six months to rebuild a relatively small building. That's pathetic by Western standards. Well, the problem is here, you know, you need to clean it up first. Then you need to, you know, do all the bureaucratic zoning crap, which, you know, in Africa, bureaucracy is never a strong point. And then you have to, you know, rebuild and get everything rebuilt. That's fine. Uh, and then you need to, you know, just, man, everything takes longer in Africa. Trust me. Um, Matt, are you familiar with Ed Dutton's research on IQ decline and its implications of forcing people to be more religious and ethnocentric in the coming decades? Yeah, I really enjoy Ed Dutton. I, I don't catch all of his stuff, you know, I'll, I'll catch a stream here and there. Um, but uh, I do, I, I do agree with the implications, you know, as IQ declines. I mean, look at us, we are the ADIQ uh, Grug channel, you know, and what are we, what are we all about? Religion and ethnocentricity. My goodness, Edward Dutton, you are spot on galaxy brain. My God. But that's it, you know, it's this whole thing of, you know, religion religion is the fences uh you know you don't remove fences until you know why they were put up and we've just gone and removed all these societal fences we've just been like oh we don't need religion and just throw it out and it's like oh <laughs> a lot of our populations are low iq they need fences you know and it's like 
Same with the ethnocentricity, same with tribalism, right? It's like, why do you think stereotypes and pattern recognition is so is so successful, is so uh, effective in running your life? You know, they, the robot learning or robot programming, they're like, oh, no, no, robot, don't notice. <laughs> it's like the robot is picking for you. Um, fences, stereotypes um, to to navigate life with. And it's like, you know, we're returning back to that where we've had this thing of freedom and liberty and all this stuff. And it's like, that's fine if you're if you are a religious people or if you are a tribal people. You know, you can't throw off the shackles of religion and tribe uh, and then expect nature not to to catch up with you. You know, maybe the first generation that throws off the fences knows like, okay, like I know why there were fences so I can mitigate against it by my good uh, skills and blah, blah, blah. And then the second generation was like, well, there weren't any fences. I don't really remember the fences. And then the third generation was like, what's a fence? And it's like, why is there a herd of freaking bison coming over here to to bloody stampede me what's going on here and so we must return a hard hard return you know the pendulum is always swinging the pendulum of history the engine of history if you want to call it you know the cyclical engine of history <clears throat> and so we must return we must return to to a very hard religion to a very hard tribalism you know a lot of people are are who are in hard liberalism and are in hard uh, egalitarianism or humanism, they're going to squeal. You know, they look at, they look at Islam. They look at, at the Amish. They look at, <coughs> they look at patriarchy and nationalism or tribalism and they squeal because it's so hard. It's so harsh. And it's like, yeah, it's because the pendulum has to return, you know? And I think that's why for me, like, that's why I'm so, you know, so many Christians squeal with what I say. And it's like, dude, I'm a moderate. I am a moderate compared to the founding fathers. I'm a moderate compared to the church fathers. And so if you're willing to, to come over to my talking points, if you're willing to engage my talking points, we might not have to go to the hard, hard reset, the hard, hard religion, the hard, hard tribalism. But because you squeal at what I say, it's like, all right, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna engage what I say, then then further we go, further we go. <clears throat> Philip Schneider, welcome brother. The way I see it is most white South Africans will live inside a 10 foot wall with electric fences in a city and have their black garden boys and maids rather than starting or moving to Aranya. Yeah, and that's the great, that's the great shame, bro. You know, we've, we've, become, we've become acclimatized to cheap labor. Um, and I was in that mindset. I grew up in that mindset. It was only moving to America where you see everyone mowing their own lawn and you know housekeeping their own house where it's like you know you even see you know pretty well off wealthy people mowing their own lawn and you're like okay like we can live without a garden boy <laughs> you know we can live without a maid okay but it's like you know if you don't <clears throat> if you don't get out of that mindset you will you will forever uh, economic zone another tribe uh, to serve uh, your your economic uh, laziness Blaine Morgan, welcome, brother. Philip Schneider, low IQ, religious. Midwits, non-religious. High IQ, religious. Woo-hoo! Grug brains and galaxy brains. Praise God. Midwits, smooth brains. Nick Sarah, welcome, brother. <clears throat> Heroid Peter Hitchens often says we live in the failing shadow of Christianity. 
the shadow slowly fades and we're exposed to the burning fire. Yeah, you know, so many of these smooth brain atheists are, you know, waking up to the fact, you know, I love, I love, uh, I love seeing all these atheists, you know, they either get so embittered because of the sunken cost of their life. You know, it's, that's what's happened with the liberals in South Africa. You're so sunken cost into this experiment, into this, you know, this has to be true. The rainbow nation has to be true. You know, and it's like everything's falling apart. There's crap, there's fire, there's, and this is fine. It's going to work, you know, and because you've put your whole life into it, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to repent. It's embarrassing to say I was wrong. It's embarrassing to, to let go of lies that you've built your whole life around. It's embarrassing. It's hurtful. And so instead of repenting, same with atheists, right? Instead of repenting and warning others, you know, hey, chaps, don't go the road I went. Here's why. I am, I, I am, instead of doing that, they get bitter and they, and they, they're like, everyone else better come to hell with me. Everyone better come to liberal dystopia with me. And they just double down and they get crazier and more insane. You know, and there are the few that that repent and, and come out brighter. Uh, and then all these bitter ones attack them like hell. Andrew Quinn, Philip Schneider, Oranya is an ethnostate for the Boers. Being white alone won't get us in there. I still support Oranya, despite the fact I won't be accepted in. Oranya is amazing. Yeah, and they've hit it on the head. You know, it's it's their people. You know, it's it's that whole thing of like, if you had to see some Zulus go and buy private property and say, look, Japs, we're setting up a Zulu enclave where we we love our Zulu ways, no non-Zulus allowed, but we'd all be like, <laughs> it's wonderful. But some Afrikaners go do it in the middle of a freaking desert where no one else can live. And we're like, oh, it's, it's Hitler himself is living in South Africa. You know, and it's just, it's ridiculous, man. I support all, you know, that's it. Nationhood for every tribe and tongue. Sovereignty for every tribe and tongue. Christ for every tribe and tongue. It's, it's great. You know, God bless Aranya. Um, Heroid, although I should add that I made the metaphor up myself, Hitchens says basically the same thing, but he generally uses other metaphors. Yeah. But that's it, man. You know, it's this whole thing of, of the burning fire of Christianity. You know, it's a... There's so many detractors, you know, this liberal this liberal idea, this liberal idea that we can dispense with Christ, that we can dispense with morality, that we can dispense with God as creator, with God as, as judge, with God as savior and father, <clears throat> that we can dispense and that we can become our own God. We can become our own savior, our own judge, our own creator. You know, that is the liberal dream. It's the liberal lie that we build everything around. You know, nature creation is God's design. You know, he designed the tribes. He designed man. He designed resources. And he set in motion laws to govern tribe, to govern resource, to govern man and woman and sex and money and power. <clears throat> and if we will just see what is, you know, God, what is? Not what we want it to be. Not what we think it should be like, oh, diversity is our strength. And it's like, does the Bible say that? You know, the Bible talks very clearly um, on the realities of tribe, on the realities 
um, of different religions in proximity, on the reality of different moralities in proximity, of different tribes competing for resources in proximity. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Scott, you bastard, you just want to murder people and blah, 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 you know, insert Nazi meme 101 or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 like, you know, this is where we can be libertarian. It's like, if you understand the property rights of a tribe, you know, if you would, if you would ascribe to a tribe sovereignty, you know, to each tribe, you know, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't favor <clears throat> certain protected tribes about this like no no no. like if each tribe had their own sovereignty you know if there were 500 600 700 countries in the world do you know how much peace there would be you know it's like oh there would be so much low-scale trouble infighting and war it's like um i believe you call that violent crime right now i believe you call that rape and murder and kidnapping right now I believe you call that taxation without representation right now. There's always going to be resource wars. There's always going to be tribalism. There's always going to be morality, religion, tradition. We need to see things for what they are and then ask God for his wisdom, for his ways in navigating what is. Instead, we set up this liberal utopian dream of every man is interchangeable, IQ is racist, so we don't believe in IQ. Um, masculine and feminine is, what do they call it? It's a, a, gender is a, it's a construct. It's like, no, these things are all real. God created them. <clears throat> and so if you're black or white, if you're a woman, you know, if you're a slave or free, Jew or Gentile, uh, male or female, we are all, we are all in Christ. We are all, uh, capable of being loved by God and uh, displaying the glory of God on earth. <clears throat> and so what happens is people get super angry. They're angry at being a woman. They're angry at being black. They're angry at, at, at their political whatever. And so they get, they get grieved. They get grievance and they, and they want to murder people. You know, and that's, and that's the liberal, that's the end. That's, that's equality. That's liberalism. The end of liberalism is murder. How do you achieve equality? You murder the unequal. How do you achieve diversity? You murder uh, exclusivity. You know, you murder tribes so that you can get some gray economic zone uh, where you can get the resources. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of things going on at play here. You know, diversity is just code for how do we extract the resources and get everyone to fight each other and not the corporatists. Okay. You know, it's it's so many uh, so many crap things. Yeah, a lot of sunk costs. Yep. Matt, when they talk about diversity, they usually mean forced homogeneity. Yep. And that's it, man. You know, it's that whole thing of like diversity is beautiful on a tribal level. You know, we want to see the, the beauty of tribes. We, we love, that's what makes travel so wonderful is to see other people keeping their tribal authenticity, keeping their beautiful ethnic authenticity, <clears throat> you know, and, and globalism destroys that. Edward, I like the perennialist influences, quite unusual, but I think it should be more important in the right-wing discourse. Explain that for me. Explain that for me. But yeah, chaps, so <clears throat> glad to be back on. It's been a good week. 
it's been a good week of of uh, being away from the mic, but definitely uh, glad to be back with you chaps. Andrew Quinn, diversity is a code word for conformity. I may have said that before. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, chaps, you know, just to to uh, to take some gold out of this thing in South Africa, I think number one, you know, to to not black pill, to not doom, you know, we're, we're stepping across the barrier into hard times all over the world. <coughs> Excuse me. And so for us to be like, okay, things are falling apart. Unions are falling apart. Economic zones are falling apart. Corporatists are losing their crap. And they're trying all these little shenanigans. They're trying all these, you know, little lockdowns and little uh, useful idiot riots and all this kind of stuff. But if anything, it just pushes you closer to your community. It pushes you closer to feeling alive. And for us who, who have been pushing localism, who've been pushing patriarchalism, who've been pushing tribalism, now's our time. You know, now's the time when people start looking to us, when people start, you know, agreeing with our ideas because, because the veneer of liberalism, the veneer of all these lies that we've been told um, is cracking and is smelling and is putrefying. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you guys, this whole thing with South Africa is, you know, be, uh, get out of the cities if you can. Get, you, you know, if you have to work in the city or whatever, try get a bit further out of the city. Uh, or if you are in the city, compound the heck up. Uh, get food going, get water going, get uh, weapons going and that kind of stuff. And this is not to boog. It's not to go and uh, do things with the feds. You know, feds, you're all welcome here. We, we will take your money into our local economy. It's to build protection. It's to build safety for your people, for your place. We've got to have this neo-Amish mindset. You know, the Amish are fine. Let me tell you, if there was an Amish enclave in South Africa right now, right right in Natal, somewhere off the N1 highway, they'd be just fine. They'd be just fine. <clears throat> you know, and, and you could say the Indians are just that. The Indians are just fine. They're doing just fine. A lot of the Afrikaners, they're doing just fine. And so to take courage from that, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, Scott, you know, the, the, the whites should leave South Africa. You know, they should get out while they still can. You know, and it's like, chaps, let me tell you, this liberal global experiment is going to come apart slowly, slowly, and then all at once. And in South Africa, the all at once is almost here. And so if you can create something that floats in South Africa, they may be ahead of the curve. They may, maybe, you know, the, pop, the pimple is popping over there. And if they can ride the wave, if they can ride the turbulence, which I think they will, they may come out on the other side 20 years ahead of us, you know. God willing, if the UN falls apart because the UN are propping Africa up. Uh, and China, you know, if there, if there can be favorable, favorable negotiations with China, um, you know, because China are basically just going to come in and mop up uh, as the new overlords um, of Africa. And so there may be, if there's favorable, you know, there's no fighting that. There's no, if you're an Afrikaner or a Zulu nationalist, there's no fighting China. There's no fighting the UN. It becomes a matter of, of negotiation of I will be a good, uh, <clears throat> what do you call them? A vassal. I'll be a good vassal of China. I will be a good trade partner of China. Uh, because, you know, the Chinese the Chinese are, are very uh, open to having good farming and law and order and stuff in, in Africa. Again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they handed over um, colonial government back to the Afrikaners after they clean everything up. I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing to think on. Um, Herowood, um, perennialism is something mostly popularized by Julius Evola. It posits chiefly that there is something correct in all major authentic religions and that you must pick one and commit to it totally. 
you've probably picked it up somewhere and applied it to cultures rather than religions. Example, there is something beautiful in every culture and they should be allowed to express it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I haven't read Evola, but I probably should. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, definitely not. I mean, religions, you know, I'm, I'm very clear. I think Jesus is the only way uh, to salvation. Um, and yet, tribally, I'm happy to, to link myself with Mormons. I'm happy to link myself with uh, patriarchal non-Christians, you know, because tribally, um, Christendom is built very practically, very praxeologically. Um, and, and the Christian software, the software of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, is applicable to every culture. Um, <clears throat> and so I agree with you completely there. There is something beautiful in every culture. You know, God made these cultures. God defined these cultures. And they should be allowed to express it. Uh, and the software of Christ does not, the software of Christ does not render a culture void. Um, it, 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 it brings a culture to its true beauty. Uh, Heroid, Ride the Tiger is a difficult read, but worth it. I would say Jesus is king, but there is truth in other religions, just not total truth. Yeah, there's wisdom. There's wisdom in other religions. Right, boys, what a what a wonderful day. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. I think tomorrow I'll be going late, so 7 p.m. tomorrow, EST. And uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this chat, chaps. Hopefully my voice will be back, or maybe I'll start smoking a pack a day through my pipe. And we'll get this uh, as a permanent timber. God bless you, boys. I appreciate all you chaps in the chat. And we'll see you tomorrow.